Pastor Scott and lead pastor of the river. And really glad that you're checking out our uh, online podcast and our services and hope that you are blessed by this. Certainly, if you have any questions, if you're wondering about stuff that goes on here or maybe you're checking out our website more and seeing things that you uh, are wondering whether or not you might want to participate in them, feel free. Contact us in the office. Give us a call. Send us an email. Um, we'd love to hear from you. love to answer any questions that you have. Uh, we hope that you are blessed by what you hear on, on this podcast. We hope that God's Word continues to have power in your life. And we pray that uh, God makes himself known, that you know how much he truly, truly, truly loves you. Thanks for checking us out and uh, enjoy the service. Good. This week, uh, we're going to conclude our Roman series for a time. Uh, we're going to be talking about Romans chapter 13, 11 through 14, a very short passage this morning. And then next week, we're going to begin our series called uh, Recreation or Recreation, depending on how you want to pronounce it. The idea is, is that for the month of July, we want to talk a little bit about how we see um, what it means to recreate, have fun, rest, vacation, all that other sort of stuff. What scripture might have to say about that. So for the month of July, we're going to be doing that in conjunction with our Legacy Nights, which give us an opportunity as a community to share in recreation that glorifies God, brings us together around um, some fun things, and allows us to give Him glory as God's people. Um, I have been gone for two weeks. Uh, Nick has ably uh, uh, taken care of the pulpit uh, responsibilities here for two weeks. For that, I'm very grateful. Um, I've missed you. It's truly good to be back um, in the saddle again. I was in Iowa. I was at Synod. I'll talk a little bit more about that as actually a part of the message. Um, but overall, it was a very, uh, it was a good growing experience for me. Uh, I learned a lot, met a lot of really great people, and uh, truly saw God at work in um, the part of the, uh, the denomination that we are a part of, the Christian Reformed Church. So lots of good stuff there, um, and again, you'll be hearing more about that as we walk into this morning's message. As we come before God in his word to learn and grow, um, let's ask for his blessing on our time. We praise you, God, for your presence in your people. And you remind us in your word uh, that our time on this earth is truly short. That there is a day that is coming that all this will change. We are reminded of the truth that truly you have a plan to redeem all things, make all things new. May we be mindful of that today and also understand, Lord, our calling within that, the challenge within that to live into your kingdom with the gifts you've given us, with the abilities that we have for your glory, that we might live into your kingdom now, not simply anticipating and waiting for the future, but understanding that we can see your kingdom grow today. I praise you for your people that you gather us together in worship and for your glory. May you truly be blessed today and may we be blessed as we gather around your word. In Christ we pray. Amen. From Romans chapter 13, verse 11 through 14. 
And do this, and obviously if we hear that, we have to look at what was before and last week at length. Um, Nick talked about what it meant to love our neighbor and to live into that commandment to love. So do this loving, understanding the present time. The hour has already come for you to wake up from your slumber because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. So let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us behave decently, as in the daytime, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy. Rather, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the flesh. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. In the early 90s, um, Harrison Ford, who uh, at different times has been one of my favorite actors, had a, a, he was the lead actor in a movie called Regarding Henry. Anyone remember this film? A couple of you? Not many? Uh, it's a movie about um, Harrison Ford, is, husband, his wife, and their daughter. Harrison Ford is a lawyer, a high-powered lawyer. A lot of money lawyer, wealthy lawyer, a lot of position. And, and frankly, he's, he's, he's a little bit of, he's a lot bit of a jerk in his life. And he's living his life, doing his thing, um, really being one of those, and not all, certainly not all lawyers are like this, but he was one of those sort of icky lawyers who would do things outside of morality and ethics that just people sort of questioned and wondered about. Unfortunately, well, fortunately, depending on how you look at it, he was on the street one night and ended up, through a mugging, being shot. And as a result of the injuries of the shooting, he ended up in the hospital more or less um, restarting everything. He couldn't remember anything from before. He'd lost his ability to speak and to walk. And so he had to relearn, really, in essence, what were the basics of life. And after uh, several months in the hospital, he ended up going home, certainly. And when he got home, even things like when his wife would make him breakfast, she made him eggs. And he wasn't sure that he liked eggs. She told him, you always liked eggs. And so he said, well, if I like eggs, then give me more. He didn't even know what it is that he liked and how he did things. And as this period of awakening went on, he never fully regains his memory of the way things were before, but he is confronted through the people in his life with the actions of the person that he was before. In terms of his lawyering and how he had treated people, he's confronted by that. In terms of his treatment and relationship with his daughter and how they were alienated, he's confronted by that. His relationship with his wife and an affair that he had had ongoing. He's confronted by that. And there's this climactic scene in the movie where he realizes he doesn't want to be what he was ever again. 
Instead, he wants to, in essence, restart things. He doesn't want to do that lawyering anymore. He doesn't want to be that father anymore. He doesn't want to be an adulterer anymore. He wants to be a faithful husband, father, and caregiver for his family. He wants to, in essence, wake up and live into new life. He wants to restart and say, now I'm living in light of a different set of values, a different idea, and for a different purpose. Paul, in our text this morning in Romans chapter, four, chapter 13, is really calling us to that sort of awareness, that sort of transformation, that sort of change. He's saying, folks, you have been in a certain mode of doing things. You've been doing things and acting a certain way, but in light of everything that I've told you about the calling of God to love one another, and because the day of Jesus Christ is coming, it's time to wake up. It's time to live differently. It's time to restart. It's time to make the change. And as we look at verse 11, we can see 11, we can see how Paul begins that. He's connecting this stuff to the command in the previous verse to love one another. When he says at the beginning and do this, obviously doing this loving one another, he, we're doing it in light of the reality of the present day, of the present age, of where things are. And Clearly, as we look at this section of the text, Paul is framing it with some urgency. We can see that he's pressing hard on the Romans. He's pressing hard on us. He's saying to us, folks, you can't wait. You can't hold back. You can't stop. You can't pause. You have to move forward with the call to love one another, to live into this life that Christ has given you through his grace, and live into this thing that changes the world According to the kingdom of God, he's calling believers into a kingdom of God begins now state of mind. Because now the time is nearer than a moment before for Christ's coming. We say it sometimes even flippantly, don't we? That Christ could come back by the end of this worship service. But do we live that way? Do we live into the truth that there is a time, there is a second, there is a moment when the trumpet will blow and it's possible it could be five seconds from now? I guess not. But it could be. And in his urgency, Paul is reminding us that as we wait in the life that we have with that, with a lack of urgency, with a lack of loving, with a lack of living into the obedience as Christ has called us, then when that time comes, not only will we be surprised, as we well should be, but we will be disappointed because we waited too long to do some of the things that we knew we were called to do. 
but lacked the willingness, lacked the intestinal fortitude, lacked the desire to follow God's calling into them. We missed out. Paul here is speaking against spiritual procrastination. How many of you would call yourself a spiritual procrastinator? I know I am. I know that there are things that I know God has called me to them. I know that it is part of God's design for me to pursue these things, enter into these things, go towards these things. And yet, for in my own foolishness, in my own weakness, I, I wait. Oh, tomorrow, the next day, the next day. And the problem is, at some point, there is no next day. Either because my physical life ends or because Christ comes again. The spiritual procrastination is a disease that has affected believers since the beginning of the church. And we certainly have to be willing to say that it's affected us. It's affected us personally. This is an indictment for all of us to hear. Are we living in light of Christ's kingdom now that could come to its fullness any second? Do we have that level of urgency? And even this tension that we often wait in, and this is actually a really good spiritual procrastination phrase. It's that second phrase there in, that you see in your outline. The Spirit will lead me when it's time. Right? We say, when God wants me to do something, the Spirit will lead me. And I do. As a pastor, I want to affirm that. As a student of Scripture, I want to affirm that. And God has a plan and a purpose for our lives that at the appropriate time, in the appropriate way, He will lead. The problem is, is that we are not just looking for the Spirit to lead us, Oftentimes what we are looking for is a physical neon sign written with a sentence that tells us what we're supposed to do. Then when we see that physical sign, that clearly, that abundantly true thing that there's no going around, then we will go. And the truth is that God has already placed in many of our lives clear spiritual leading, compulsion, giftedness, opportunities that we either ignore or say we will get to later. We're waiting for the Spirit not just to show us what to do and where to go, but to get us dressed in the morning so that we can go there with the right outfit on. We're waiting for those sorts of particulars when God has made it clear, go, do, love, encourage, teach, speak, care for, whatever it is. To live into this idea of what are you waiting for? Are you waiting for more of the Spirit? Because God has given it to us abundantly already with enough power and ability and giftedness to go into the places that He has already called us to. Go. And again, the mirror is right here. Because I know them for me. 
And he's been convicted by that this week in a lot of ways, in a lot of stuff. Verse 12 says this, The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. So let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Now in Scripture, if you read the Old Testament and the New Testament, it's obvious and clear that night and darkness so often symbolize evil or sin or even hell. And Paul here is calling believers to already live into the light that is coming, but not here. My guess is that when we get into the presence of the living God for all eternity, in what is to come, in what is next, when Christ makes all things new, it will not be difficult for us to live into the light, right? Christ will be the light. We will have that desire. We will see the fullness of him in all his glory. And it won't be hard. But the challenge that we face is that God calls us to live into that sort of light now, even while it is still dark. Even while there is still sin. Even while there is still brokenness around us. God calls us to live into the light here and now. So that his kingdom which is already begun in Christ. Continues to grow and build until he comes again to bring it to its fullness. The problem is is that makes it harder. Because there is darkness around us. There's darkness that discourages us. There's darkness that causes us fear, causes us doubt. There's darkness that tempts us and drags us down. Darkness that, frankly, distracts us immensely from being the follower of God who brings the kingdom now. Now, I wasn't going to do this, but I feel it's my responsibility. I wrote this sermon on Thursday. If you know your week's schedule, you know that a pretty big thing happened Friday in this country. Supreme Court made its decision about gay marriage. And suddenly there's silence in the room. How do we walk that through? And I got to be honest, one thing that I wish is that before things like this come out from the Supreme Court or from the White House or from wherever, that there is a presidential uh, Supreme Court and Congress edict, they're all unified on this, to shut down Facebook for the next week. I really wish that. Because if you are a Facebook person, you know it blew up, right? There were lots of things posted. There were emails sent. There were messages either for or against. There were celebrations and there was condemnation. And I'm not going to share with you all that I think, frankly, because on my desktop on my computer, I have three pages of notes that I almost sent probably five or six times in the last three days, out on Facebook and otherwise and on my blog. And I chose not to do that for the simple reason that I feel like the big test for us as followers of Jesus Christ is not to be distracted. Not to be so consumed 
with the decision made by nine people in Washington and how it affects our faith and how we understand things that we stop or at least get distracted from seeing the kingdom of God in Jesus Christ coming now. Is Christ still in control? Amen? Is Christ still among us through the power of his spirit, redeeming his people? Yes? And I don't care if you are for what happened on Friday or against what happened on Friday. If you are a person who is gloating that the conservatives got their what for, or if you are a conservative who is angry because the world is falling apart, if you are consumed by either of those views, you are distracted from seeing the kingdom of God grow in the world that we live in today, which is desperate to know the grace and the love of Jesus. Jesus Christ. Don't fall asleep. Live into the light of Jesus Christ that is now, the kingdom of God that is now, and don't be stopped by the foolishness of whoever says whatever about whatever thing. We know the truth. Jesus Christ is alive. Jesus Christ is at work. Jesus Christ is redeeming the world through the power of the Spirit and by the will of the Father. We know that truth. We know how that goes. We know what that means. Live into that. Don't worry about nine goofballs in Washington. And the only reason I say they're goofballs is because they have not yet sent out a uh, judicial edict that says Canada's health care system is better than the U.S.'s. That's the only problem I got. (laughs) And that should make you more mad than what they said on Friday. Hear me here. One of the things that we do when we go get so impassioned by the other stuff is that we miss what God is doing right now. Do you know that there are now hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people who are watching the church wondering what it is the church is going to do? Right? Is that true? And if that's truth, then we, if nothing else, have an opportunity to proclaim Jesus Christ in some really amazing and powerful, powerful ways. And I want to worry about that, not the other stuff about who's right, who's wrong, who's in, who's out. What does the Bible say about this? What does the Bible say about that? Believe me, I've done more study than you on this. There are people out there better than I am or you are at exegeting Scripture that make a great case for a whole lot of things that you may agree with or disagree with. There's a whole lot of complicated stuff here if nothing else, for a week. Turn off your Facebook. Don't post. Don't make articles. Spend a week praying that God might show you ways for you to be Jesus to the world around you. That's our opportunity right now. Sorry, I didn't mean to get distracted, but it's the way it goes. 
there's this urgency again. Paul phrases this in such a way that believers are confronted with the idea that they should live into this life now because they can't know what tomorrow holds. You know um, that I was in Iowa last week, and if you are a member of the prayer chain here at the river, you also know that earlier, before I left for Iowa, there was a significant death in our family, and that is Gary and Susan Rootman's daughter, Suzanne DeYoung, died. Tragically. Like, literally in a moment. And as a result of that, and since Gary and Susan have now moved to Iowa, literally 10 minutes away from where I was at Synod, I wanted to make an effort to see them and speak with them, which I did several times on the phone. And finally, on the second last day that I was there, I got to spend some time with them at a diner in Sioux Center. We had lunch together. And if you know the story of Susan, you know how stark it is. Literally, here's what happened. Weeks before, she had felt a... a, very dull, not a sharp, but a dull pain in her side. And they simply wanted to take her in for what they considered a routine check, a routine CAT scan, something that many of you have experienced just to see what's going on inside. And as a result of this CAT scan, they have to do something with dye in order to be able to see everything that's going on. They, uh, Gary and Susan were watching uh, one of the kids or she, Suzanne, I'm not sure they were watching kids, but Suzanne was over at her, uh, Susan's, with Susan that morning. Suzanne, uh, Susan said to Suzanne, um, goodbye, love you, hope everything goes okay, I'll be praying for you. Her daughter walks out the door, gets to Sioux Center Hospital, they inject the dye within her veins. She has an allergic reaction to it, within a half an hour she is brain dead. Six hours, they work on her. They can keep her alive for that time, but eventually it's very clear whatever would be left with their resuscitation would not be Suzanne. It would be really um, not much. And so she died. And I'm sitting across the table from Gary and Susan Roteman. And if you know Gary, he's one of the most positive people in the whole wide world. We're going to be okay. We're going to be okay. But my heart breaks for them because I know that there are going to be a lot of times ahead when it's not going to be okay. There's going to be a lot of dark nights. There's going to be a lot of big questions. There's going to be a lot of hard stuff ahead for those folks. And literally, a dull pain in a woman's side ends up half an hour later, her, the mother of four children, high school to preschool, wife of a husband, deeply involved in the community, is gone. This is urgent. It's urgent for us to live into this. Yes, Jesus Christ could come again by the end of this service. But also, you may not be here next week to worship. We receive those reports regularly. You may not be here six months from now. You may get that diagnosis in the next week or so. You may already have that fear in your heart because you know there's something going on in your body. You do not know, I do not know, 
what the future holds for us to grab onto that sense of urgency and say, now I can live into the kingdom of God. Now I can be focused on that love that he has given me to give to his people around me. Now I can use the gifts, the Spirit's presence, follow its leading, go where it calls me to go and see the world in his power change around me. Because you don't know how long this is going to go on. And it's a horrible thing that we need to be reminded of that in these powerful, horrible, stark things. Verse 13 says this. Let us behave decently as in the daytime, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy. And this verse... Verse 13 clearly contrasts verse 14, which talks about deeds of the light. Paul calls believers into life that isn't marked by nighttime behavior. Now, just for a moment, I want you to think through your past week. Where has there been nighttime behavior? Where has there been angry words spoken or perhaps posted? Where have there been words of condemnation and judgment instead of words of grace and love? Where has there been a drink taken? Where has there been a drug taken? Where has there been that lustful thought? Those are the deeds of the night that Christ is calling us away from because they become that distraction. And certainly this has to compel us away from those sorts of thoughts, those sorts of ideas, and to live, and Paul uses this word, decently. And that word has to give us some pause. And it's a complex term, actually, in the Greek. Decent is one of those words that has a lot of stuff going on when we look at it in a Greek study. It captures terms like propriety, And becoming, something is becoming, is something that is beautiful or nice. These are nice things. When we think about living decently, it means that we're living into a life that not just is a good life, not just is something that we can be proud of, but that our life in and of itself does something powerful to the world around us. These other words, the terms in there are stark, orgies, drunkenness, debauchery. But Paul is going further by saying a decent life. Because decent living garners respect. And not simply respect for us. Because a a full life of decency is one that reflects to the world around us the power and the presence of Jesus Christ. That we with our life and with our words acknowledge the fact that without the Spirit's presence in us, without the Spirit's transforming power, we're stuck in the nighttime deeds. But with the Spirit's power, with the Spirit's presence and the grace of Jesus Christ, Christ, we know decency, we know light, we know life. And this life is not just for ourselves, but, and this is where we get to verse 14, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ. Do not think about how to gratify the desires of the flesh. 
This decent living means we live in such a way that the world sees us covered with Christ. And this is a whole idea of a continuation of dying to ourselves from 12 verse 1. And living so Christ is clearly shown in us. You ever run into those sorts of people? Who when you spend even two minutes with them, it's like grace overwhelms the room and the space that you're in. It's like love is there. That's the sort of decent life that we're talking about. A life that by its very nature and how one enters into it and through the Spirit's power is empowered to it instantly shows something distinct and different and powerful. It shows Jesus. That's what decent night or decent daytime living is like. So what, in light of all this? Living into a loving, decent life is urgent because we don't know what will come. We don't know what's going to happen in this week ahead. We don't even know what's going to happen an hour from now. We don't know. And because we don't know and we have enough evidence in front of us that reminds us this can be short for us not to have that spiritual procrastination but instead to live into that life now is urgent. It is it's prescriptive for us. This is what we need to do. And living in the light ushers in the kingdom now and prepares us for its fullness to come. When I live like that now, how much more prepared am I when Christ comes again to live into the fullness of what his light and his presence means for me and the family of God for all eternity? I don't have to play catch up. And if I do, it's, only a, uh, it's a lot less than it would be if I'm living that urgent, decent life of light and love. And this life is lived by clothing ourselves with Christ, dying to our own needs, and reflecting his love for us to others so that they might see him. This is how we do that best. Not distracted by the things of this world. Not distracted by the temptations that we know. But instead, living into that life in such a way that it's clear to those around us whose we are. When I was at Synod, I'm, I'm, I'm a cynic when it comes to things like Synod. The reason I'm a cynic is because it's political to some degree. It's bureaucratic to some degree. Imagine a room three times this size, but the front third of it is filled with tables and chairs for 225 people who together are making decisions. 225 people. Imagine what that's like. Imagine some of the dialogue and the discussions that go on. Especially when you're talking about, like we did, how the church walks through things like... um, homosexual marriage. That was a conversation on the floor of Senate. Here's what I can tell you. I can tell you that in my week there, of 100% of my activity and time there, 95% of it was wonderful, amazing, powerful. 3% of it was challenging, burdensome, but still okay. 
2% of it absolutely stunk. It was horrible, and I hated it. I'm not going to talk about the 5%, because frankly, it's not worth it to talk about that. I want to talk about the 95%. The 95% revolves around this. And you can well imagine with a whole bunch of pastors and elders from churches together that there's already this thing going on. But the whole thing was cloaked in prayer. There were prayer people praying for us every moment that we were on the floor of sin. And there was a prayer ministry that was just powerful and meaningful. There was prayer on the floor of sin. And there was just times when we came together and worship. It was awesome to be a part of. And because of all that stuff, when we looked around, when I looked around, even at people that I disagreed with vehemently, people that if they were on 10 on this side of the issue, then I was 10 on the other side of the issue. I could look at them and I could see them clothed with Jesus Christ. Here's the net result of what happened from that. Afterwards, synods got done on Thursday, got done at noon, and then everyone's got to head home and go their own way. And a lot of people have to fly. And there's really only two airports that you can fly out of in order to get to Sioux Center, Iowa. One of them was Sioux Falls, South Dakota. It's about an hour away. So there's this big mob of folks from Synod who end up going to Sioux Falls Airport. And because some flights through Chicago especially were delayed, some flights flying out of Denver, so those are flights going both east and west, a lot of these folks were delayed for an hour, hour and a half, even two hours or more, which meant that there were about 70 to 80 Christian Reformed people who had been at Synod for two or three hours in what is a very small airport in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. As we're sitting at a gate, I'm sitting with some Calvin Seminary professors that I've known for a long time, and we're talking back and forth, and some people are walking by, and we're greeting, and we're laughing, and we're sharing jokes from what had gone on at Synod because I knew these people. And right beside one of the seminary professors, Professor Lyle Birma, was this woman. She was just sitting there at one of those little gathering areas for a gate, and she finally said to Lyle, and I could hear the conversation because I was only a couple seats away. She said, who are you people? (laughs) And Professor Birma began to describe who these people were and why they were here. We're a group of people from the Christian Reformed Church, a small denomination. Every year we gather for a meeting to decide policy and doctrine and discuss things within the life of the church. We worship together. We pray together. We've just finished that, and now all of us are heading home. We're from all over North America. We're from Canada. We're from the U.S., and now we're all going home. And She said, you people are weird. And he said, well, what do you mean? She said, I work at this airport. I'm actually one of the administrators, and I'm getting ready to head out for my vacation now. And I'm in this airport all the time. And I see groups of people come in here for University of South Dakota. I see groups of people come in here for sports games. I see big groups of people come in here for concerts, for gatherings, for lots of different stuff. And you people are weird because you're kind. You're kind. 
to each other. And you're kind to the people who are here at the airport. You laugh a lot. I've seen a lot of people hugging each other. And it's not just, bye, see you later. It's, I will miss you. And I will miss who you are. She basically said, there's something different about you. And he said, yeah, ma'am, let me tell you. It's Jesus. We've had a week with Jesus. And because we've had a week with Jesus, we're changed. And we're different. I want more of that. If you go out of this place and you head down to Panera for lunch like you always do, I want people down there to be able to see Jesus because you've been with him this morning. If you go into your workplace tomorrow, I want want for not just for you, but for the blessing of God the Father for people to be able to see Jesus because you've been with him. And now when you go somewhere, you carry him along with you. That's what it means to be clothed with Jesus Christ and to live into that sense of urgency. And sometimes it's not even, well, I have to tell you this now because the time is short. Sometimes it's just living that way and the power of Christ in us goes out from that. But we have to be willing to live into that. Because you and I truly don't know what tomorrow holds. As you go from this place, my prayer is that your longing, your hunger, your thirst for every moment of today, tomorrow, and the days to come is to live into that love of Jesus Christ so that a world that so desperately needs to see it might see it reflected in you. Would you pray with me? Hope of the world, Jesus Christ, we are grateful that you have not only called us to live a life of light in the daytime, a life of decency, a life that reflects you to the world, but you've also equipped us with the Spirit's power to live into that sort of life. You've not left us alone. This is not something that we in and of ourselves are capable of doing, but you knew that. And we know your spirit. Lord, may we have the courage, the compulsion, compulsion, the desire to hear that spirit as it speaks to our heart and leads us into places where you call us to go. To not procrastinate, to not wait for something else to come, for something easier, more comfortable, something that fits me more. But instead, Lord, for us to live into that obedience because we do not know what tomorrow holds. But we do know that we live into a world that desperately needs to see the light of Jesus Christ. And as we live into that light and show it around us, your kingdom grows. May that be the desire of our heart. In Christ we pray. Amen. Amen.